and welcome back to Making Sense of Money, a podcast dedicated to making complex financial topics easier to understand. I'm Nikki Jankola-Shanks. Last episode, we discussed financial resolutions. So if you're still working through how to set your own financial resolutions for this new year, check that episode out if you haven't yet. And I'm Andrew Pellegrini. This episode, we brought back one of our previous guests to talk about wealth building as a balancing act. My colleague from University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign's financial planning program in the College of Aces, Donovan Sanchez. So Donovan, do you want to kind of reintroduce yourself to any of our listeners that might have missed the last time that you were here when we talked about establishing a vision for your life in January? Absolutely. Thank you, Andrea and Nikki. Again, it's a pleasure to talk with you, have another conversation. I'll be brief with my introduction. I grew up in the Bay Area, California, born and raised, um, the oldest of four siblings, following completion of high school in California, moved out to Utah, where I completed a degree in English teaching at Brigham Young University, taught high school English for a couple of years in Dallas, Texas. And at that time, my family was growing and we wanted some backup. So we moved to central Illinois to get close to my wife's parents. And we we still live uh, close to them, enjoy time with them. It's really great to have that backup and support with our kiddos. In the transition to Illinois, I thought that it would be worthwhile to explore some other career options. So I uh, Ended up wandering into the land of financial planning, you might say, and uh, joined a couple of companies, had some good experiences, had some learning experiences, and eventually decided that I wanted to start my own practice, which I did. Fast forward a little bit, and uh, in 2021, I joined the University of Illinois as an instructor uh, in our financial planning program, which is a lot of fun. Uh, It's been a, a fun ride, enjoying the journey so far, and uh, looking forward to what's to come. We're really happy to have you here. And Donovan, you probably don't know this about me, but I actually started my career off as well as an English teacher. I was, yeah, so I was an English teacher, but I I did sixth and seventh grade. I was certified six through 12, but I wanted that fun, crazy middle school age. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So since we're going to be talking about wealth building, What are some of the things that are involved in wealth building from your perspective as a financial planner? Yeah, it's a a really great question. And I'd actually preview this and say that building wealth actually begins with defensive strategies first. And, you know, some of these strategies may not appear to have much to do with wealth building at all, but let me list off a few of those and we can talk about the wealth building process too. In my opinion, it's just so important to have a vision for your future. So maybe a bit of a plug for the the last podcast episode that we were able to do together talking about, um, or the last time I was here, you guys do tons of podcasts more than just with me. And we talk a little bit about building a vision and how important that is. So I think articulating what you want out of life and from your financial goals, I think is an incredibly important first step. Following that, you know, some important defensive measures that allow us to have the privilege of being able to build wealth over time include things like establishing an emergency fund. So having typically three to six months of cash on hand that you could access fairly easily in something like a savings account that you can tap into if life throws you a curveball very important. I'd also say that uh, making sure that your your insurance plan is well-established, including things like disability insurance, life insurance, of course, home and auto insurance, health insurance. And depending on your situation, there, there may be some other insurances to look at, such as long-term care insurance. These things protect us from the financial consequences of getting sick, you know, a premature passing away, 
um, getting into a car accident and all these things. Insurance is designed to protect us as well as our loved ones in the case that there could be some sort of peril that affects us uh, and, and leaves us in a financially difficult situation. So insurance can help with that. I think, of course, certainly very relevant from a defensive standpoint. Also, being being cautious and careful about getting into too much debt. Certainly, you know, avoiding high interest debt like credit card debt, uh, but also being careful about the mortgage balance and being careful about uh, student loans. All of these things are, you know, really important for for most of us to be able to pursue an education that can help us for the future, invest in ourselves, as well as buy homes. Right? Not very many people can just go out and pay for a home in cash. So they are, you know, there can be some reasonable uh, areas for which going into debt can make sense, but we have to be careful about it so we don't become too burdened by that. So I think it is, you know, really important to make sure that we have those steps in place from a defensive standpoint. Once that, once that those steps are in place though, you know, that puts us in a good spot to prepare for those unexpected shocks that life can send our way. So it allows us to be able to focus on building wealth. And, and I'd, I'd submit that like, you know, a lot of things in life, building wealth is uh, simple but definitely not easy. You know, I say it's simple because really it involves spending less than you earn and and saving that amount that you're not spending and investing it prudently for a very 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 long time. So there's that behavioral aspect where, you know, the the, the calculation isn't too difficult. Spend less than you earn. But from a behavior standpoint, sometimes that that can be that can be difficult. And of course, depending on the individual circumstances and situation, you know, maybe there isn't that much left over at the end of the month. So that can certainly make things challenging as well. In terms of like, you know, some specific target percentages, you know, I think that something in the range of 15 to 20% is a good target uh, amount savings for, you know, those who are starting out and, and who are looking to retire a traditional retirement age of 65 or so. Obviously the circumstances that someone's in would dictate uh, whether that savings rate needs to be increased or even decreased, but just investing prudently for a very, very long time. And we'll talk a little bit more about this later in our conversation, but doing things like automating your investing process so that you don't have to go into your investment portfolio every single month and make the, the purchase decisions. There are things that we can do to make it a lot easier. The more that we can reduce the friction involved in saving and investing, just the more likely it is that we're going to do it, right? If we have to every single month log into our accounts, uh, make contributions, make purchases of ETFs or other investments, it's just going to be a little bit harder for us to, to do that. So if we can automate it, it can be very helpful. And then I really like, you know, I think about um, I've mentioned a few times now about the importance of doing this for a long time. Uh, there's an interesting Barron's article from uh, 2020. It talks about Warren Buffett and his wealth building. And it turns out that over 90% of his wealth has been generated since he turned 65. So the vast majority of his wealth is post age 65. And he, he started investing very, very young. So he's had a long time, a long time horizon investing. And, uh, you know, the way that compounding interest works is that the longer we can stay invested, the more time for us to benefit from that. Um, so again, and we'll, we'll dig into this a little bit more and about how, how to balance wealth building with other life goals. But um, again, simply put, and I think the bottom line is establish a good defensive strategy. And then once that strategy has been implemented, make it as easy on yourself as possible to have an automated savings methodology moving forward. Donovan, that statistic about that Warren Buffett has actually generated so much money post age 65 is very interesting to me. So thank you for sharing. But now that we've discussed the how, 
maybe we could kind of discuss why somebody might engage in wealth building. Yeah, Nikki, it's a, it's a really good question. And I think, you know, there's a, there's a very practical reason uh, why we should engage in wealth building. And I think uh, simply put, we're not going to be able to work forever. I think that that's, you know, the bottom line is that we really want to prepare for a future date when uh, for a variety of reasons, we just really can't go and work. But there's a lot of other reasons too. And in, in my view, saving for the future can really be uh, its own enjoyment. Uh, there's a sense of satisfaction in implementing a plan for saving for the future and just that sense of security that you have something that you're working towards. There's some, there's some joy in the journey we might say for that. And it, you know, it definitely beats the, the discomfort that can come from living paycheck to paycheck and being stressed out and concerned about making those ends meet. But yeah, we can't work forever. Uh, so we've got to develop a plan that, that does allow us to save and invest for the future so that at some point we can step away from work in a dignified way. There, there are other reasons why uh, people want to build wealth. Some of these might include uh, a desire to not place burdens on family, uh, you know, not, not have to have children or other family members uh, take care of someone in the advanced years of life, or at least reduce the, the amount of care that they need by being able to pay for other service providers to come in and help. There could be a desire to leave an inheritance to loved ones, or maybe there's a different financial legacy. Think about like donating to charity or church or alma mater or something along those lines. But of course there are those who, you know, they just really are laser focused on financial independence. And so their, their role for building wealth is so that they can have the ability to step away from work even before, you know, they're not able to go work anymore. In the traditional sense, we just think of retirement in that way, right? There's people are saving for a certain amount of time so they can step away from work, not because they can't work anymore, but because they want to spend some time doing some other things. There are, there are uh, more intense movements. There's something known as the FIRE movement. This stands for financial independence and retire early, where the goal is to just really rapidly, um, as quickly as possible, save up to a point where uh, you become financially independent. So you're not, you know, you have enough assets to where you could step away from work at a relatively young age. We're thinking, you know, maybe much earlier than age 65. And so there's, you know, a movement among people to, to save a, a large portion of their income to be able to achieve that financial independence goal sooner rather than later. So, you know, I, I really do think that there, you know, there can be healthy as well as uh, potentially, uh, we'll say less healthy ways uh, to focus on building wealth over time. You know, I, I think that I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, most of us probably could save a little bit more for retirement. You know, we might, we, we might benefit from saving a little bit more, but it's also true that there, there are, there's a, a small number of people, relatively small number of people out there um, who are so focused on saving and investing that they may be missing out on experiences and enjoying life today. Again, I don't think that that's what most of us uh, <laughs> need help with in terms of spending more. Uh, you know, most of us probably could benefit from spending a little bit less and saving a little bit more. But you know, the bottom line here is that it, wealth building really should be a balancing act. And um, you know, it's probably a good idea to you know avoid the extremes on the saving spectrum, both in terms of like saving too little. How could you save too much, right? It seems a little silly to say, and 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 you know, in contrast to saving too much, right? But again, I think probably most of us could be saving a little bit more. There may be a few out there that that could benefit from utilizing their money in other ways now that could uh, increase their happiness and well-being. But again, the focus is finding some sort of middle path to enjoy life today while also being able to responsibly prepare and plan for the future.
So we had actually previously talked about the retirement crisis and that was way back in episode 12 and that was on secure choice. I know earlier you had also talked about automating your savings, which is kind of what secure choice is rooted in as well. So at that time, our guest, Courtney Eccles, talked to us about both the issue of access and participation in retirement savings. One tool that Illinois workers can use to grow wealth if they don't have access to retirement tools at work is secure choice. Um, So you can listen to that episode to learn more about the retirement crisis and we'll put links in the show notes about it as well. It recently has had some really big milestones for Illinois. So go ahead and check out secure choice. As I was doing kind of research for this podcast, I was looking at retirement surveys and habits that are currently kind of in place with people that are retired now, but um, also kind of outlooks on different things as well. I came across a few articles that talked about the adjustment of retirement as it had to do with people's identity. Like ultimately, I think what we're trying to do with this episode is shed some light on how to engage with other aspects of your identity that that rely on your relationships and and what you value outside of your employment specifically because that was what the kind of transitional hurdles for a lot of retirees were is like how to navigate their new life that wasn't grounded around employment and how they navigate relationships and the change in their identity from that. So I think it's important that we kind of remember that as we're talking about the balancing act. So when when you're thinking about retirement, ultimately what we want to focus on is ways that you can kind of live in the moment now, balancing your future goals with what your current identity is and how you want to navigate relationships. Uh, So hopefully we can do that (laughs) Uh, in a way that helps you plan for retirement and avoid too much upheaval from economic shocks that you might experience in the near future or further, further down in the future. When we're discussing the idea for for this podcast, when when Donovan and I first talked about it, I think we wanted to acknowledge that that people's abilities to engage in wealth building is not static over time. So if you're in a place where you don't feel like you can build wealth right now, we're going to talk about a few ways that maybe there are other things you can do to try to build wealth, to improve your financial well-being, something that we've talked about in many other episodes as well as financial well-being. And they may be more non-traditional in the world of personal finance. So Donovan, do you want to talk about some of the non-financial components of balancing wealth building that people may be able to engage in regardless of their income level or their resources? Yeah, Andrew, this is so important and uh, it's a, a really thoughtful, thoughtful question. And as you allude to kind of earlier on in some of the things that you were saying, uh, you know, it's, it's very common uh, throughout someone's life to not be in a position to maximize their wealth building potential, right? Most people go through periods where that's going on and they can kind of be at any stage of life, depending on the circumstances. We experience job loss and other things like that. You know, starting out can be really challenging. There's a lot of competing goals at once. How does somebody save for college and for buying a, putting a down payment for a home and for retirement and all these things all at once. And there's this convergence of goals that can make it challenging. So, you know, just to put this out there, right? It's very normal to be in a situation where it can be hard 
to save up. But again, it's it, we can it's something that we can work towards and 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 strive for. And again, we'll talk about ideas here in a little bit. But I, I think it's so important to recognize that there's there's a lot more to well-being than just the financial side. Financial financial side is so 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 important. But there's these other aspects of life that that also just bring us a lot of importance and meaning. And so I guess one of the first things I'll throw out there is you know, being careful about the assumption that, you know, as soon as I am wealthy, I'm going to be happy. Or as soon as I've hit this next milestone, then I'm going to have made it. And so, you know, I'm going to be dramatically happier than I was. There's, there's an interesting film called Citizen Kane that um, to not give it away, just talks about uh, or showcases a man who, you know, lived a life and had it all that you might say, but, you know, at the end of the film, you'd really question if, if he was happy, even though he, you know, quote had it all and i think you know there's there's wisdom that can be gained from some some ancient traditions the bible says for what is a man advantage if he gained the whole world and lose himself or be cast away um the Tao Te ching says knowing when you have enough avoids dishonor and knowing when to stop will keep you from danger and bring you a long happy life so i think there's just a lot that we can learn from you know ancient wisdom that's out there and that we can apply to our lives you know i i think of a this concept of the hedonic treadmill and and i'll explain it by you know asking a couple of questions so you know think about that time when you you know needed to get that material possession that you absolutely had to have you know maybe it was a new phone maybe it was a new computer maybe it was that new car that that new house and you know think about it um, I think we've all had that experience of, you know, really needing that next possession or other item and obtaining it. And the question I would have is, you know, how long did that sense of happiness or satisfaction stick around for? I can speak personally, you know, for me, it's it's usually not not too long. You know, there's this thrill of excitement from that initial purchase, but, you know, after a little bit, you're kind of moving on to the next thing. This is, this is the, the concept of the hedonic treadmill. Essentially, we have an idea, something we're striving for, something that we really, really want. Once we achieve it, there's that moment of thrill or excitement, but then very, very quickly, relatively quickly, we kind of adjust to it being the, the, the norm. And, and I have, you know, a more recent example for me is I uh, went back to school a few years ago to get a master's degree in advanced financial planning. And of course, working, going to school is challenging. And so I was enjoying the learning process, but I was really, really looking forward to the day when my degree would be over and done with. And I imagine just this immense confidence that I would have after completing the degree. I'd be a new person, just totally different. And, and the truth of the matter is, is yeah, it was, it was nice to finish the degree. It was nice to not have to spend the time studying that I was before. But in a lot of ways, it was, it was a little bit anticlimactic. It was like, wait a second, I'm, I'm still Donovan Sanchez. I'm, I'm still the same person here. So all of this is to say is, you know, to be careful about thinking that in order to be happy, we just need to get, get to that next thing. I think it's important to f- find joy along in the journey as well. So, so, you know, that kind of leads to the question, what can we do in order to, to balance our wealth building with experiencing life along the way and, and living that full and rich life? I, I think it's important at the outset of, of this to, you know, be clear that my definition, Nikki's definition, Andrew's definition, and, and your definition, person that's listening to this right now, you know, our definitions of a full and rich life uh, are likely to differ. And that's okay. Like that, that's, that's not a problem, but I think there are probably some common themes. Um, there's an interesting passage in a book by Jonathan Clements. It's called, it's called how to think about money. 
And this is what he says. He says, our wish lists likely have a few themes. We want time with friends and family. We want special moments like dinners out and vacations. And we want to, to devote our days to activities we're passionate about. And we want these things without constantly worrying about money. Um, and I, I think that that's true, right? And a lot of these things don't really have much to do with money. We can spend time with family and friends regardless of our means. But I would also agree, right? We do want to be able to do those things without worrying about money, which is why financial preparedness is so important and, and we, why we talk about it. You know, we find ourselves in in different financial situations and, you know, most of us are still on the path towards financial independence and not yet there, but we can probably do a little bit better to make time for our friends and family. Uh, maybe we can engage in service opportunities and, and hobbies, things that we care about, you know, things like volunteering at church, being in the community, coaching youth sports leagues, finding those things that, you know, make us happy and plugging into that and doing it. And of course, if our means do permit it, you know, we can set aside some money for maybe eating out occasionally or going on a vacation that fits within our budget. But, you know, I think it's really important to remember that, you know, what makes life rich is, you know, spending that time with loved ones, you know, that doesn't really have a price tag on it. Um, and, and we might even find in fact that, you know, there are life experiences that there's no way we would trade them for. It doesn't matter how much money. And, uh, you know, think about a time in, in your guys' life where, you know, you shared a special experience with a loved one. You know, would you trade it for a dollar? Would you trade it for a thousand dollars? Would you trade it for a million dollars? You know, I, I think of an experience that I shared with, with my young daughter, you know, she must, must've been two or three years old and we were just sitting on the beach, hanging out, eating cherries. And, you know, she's just, my little daughter sitting on my lap and she's spitting the cherry pits into a little cup that I'm holding. You know, it's, it's a simple experience, but um, you know, for me, there's no amount of money that I would ever trade that for. Because, you know, having that time with those loved ones and people that we care about, at the end of the day, you know, that's really what counts. So I will uh, tell a little bit of a story because I actually have this coming up. So my mom is an enormous Disney fan. Like she, I believe I was telling Andrea that there's like a four-year-old reaction to Mickey Mouse and my mom, who's like in her seventies, like their, their reactions to Mickey are very much the same. <laughs> she just adores Disney world. And, and so I have a daughter and she's turning two in February and my husband's family lives in Florida. So it's really easy for us to like take the kids for a day down to Disney world because they don't live that far. Right. But it was very important to me that my daughter's first time in this place that her Yaya adores is with my mom. And, you know, my mom, she, she's healthy, but she is in her seventies. And so my husband and I sat down and, and cause we had always said, we'll wait till she's older when she could remember it to kind of spend that money. But my husband and I had an honest conversation about like, God forbid, what if something, my mom just had double knee replacement, right? Like what happens down the road? And what if we never get to do that? How would that make me feel? And I knew in that moment, I, I would be devastated if Chris's first time at Disney World, my, my mom wasn't there. And so Steve was like, then we're, we're doing it now. Like, why are we going to wait that it, it's not just about Disney World? This is about a memory with your mom that is the most important thing. So we're going for Curtis's second birthday. <laughs> um, but that was a thing that we had because Disney World is not cheap. And so that was something that we had to sit down and discuss like, and, and start 
planning and saving for, but we were willing to sacrifice other things because of the experience and that memory. So I, I kind of felt like that, that fits into what you were talking about, about that living your life in a way that align your values and your identity and focusing on relationships and how you want to spend your time and resources. For us, this trip, which is really about spending time with my mom in a different way, was that for us. And then my husband pointed out that this is the cheapest it's ever going to be for us because when you're three and under, they don't start charging for kids until they're three. So she is. So she's nice. Uh-huh. In the past, Andrea and Jake, who is one of our previous co-hosts um, for this po- podcast, they actually co-facilitated a webinar I, last fall, uh, and it was titled Conscious Consumerism, and it discussed mindfulness and money. And they talked about ways to align your spending or saving with the things you're passionate about, including refraining from spending money when your choices don't allow you to practice your values. So we're going to make sure we drop the link in the show notes for that webinar as well. So if you are interested in everything we've been talking about, you may also want to check out that webinar. Donovan, what are some of your tips for implementing these non-financial tips alongside some of the more traditional wealth building practices that financial planners often talk about. Yeah, no, I, I, and Nikki, I think that you, you provide such an interesting kind of example of how wealth building is a balancing act, right? Taking your life circumstance and situation into account, thinking about your mom and her status right now and, and your daughter and the time that you guys can spend uh, making memories, I think is kind of driving exactly at what this conversation, the purpose of this conversation, what, what we're trying to, to do. We're trying to say, hey, let's make sure that we do things responsibly, but let's also make sure that we create experiences with those people that we really love and care about along the way. And so it is a balancing act doing both of those things at the same time. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be easy, right? It could be challenging. We might make mistakes along the way and learn from those mistakes. My wife and I were just talking today about some of our mistakes and some of the things that we would like to go back and do a little bit differently with respect to our finances. So none of us, you know, is perfect in terms of these things. So anyways, you know, so how do we go about balancing those non-financial tips with the traditional wealth building practices that financial advisors are always talking about. Well, I think the first thing to acknowledge is you might not be where you want or need to be with respect to wealth building, but you can start somewhere and you can go from there. So earlier in our conversation, I suggested, look, saving 15 to 20% of income, that's probably a worthwhile target. And again, the caveat here is acknowledging that people's circumstances are different. Maybe the rate of savings needs to be higher maybe it needs to be lower, right? Your, your situation is going to dictate that. But you know, a lot of us do find ourselves in situations where maybe we're not yet saving what we need to be. And it's possible that that's discouraging. We, we may even feel like we're at a loss for what to do. Um, so here's a few ideas. If, if you're not yet hitting that target savings rate, the first step is to establish a budget and review it regularly. I think on a monthly basis is really good. Even simply tracking your spending, writing down your spending is a great way to see where your money goes and learn from that and make adjustments, see where you can cut back. 
right? And you might say, well, why do I need to write this stuff down, right? Can I just use a, an app or just look at my bank statements? And, and yes, you can. The reason why I like the idea of if, you're, if you've never budgeted before and just writing down your spending is that it, it creates a bit of physical engagement there too. So you're noticing it more. It's, it's far too easy just to look back on a statement. That's not, in my opinion, going to do as much to change your behavior as writing all of your spending down and looking at it after the fact. So the first step is really to get on a budget. I think that's so, so important. Looking at that budget, you may find that there are areas where you can reduce spending and increase to savings. You, you may find after looking at things, perhaps there's some more dramatic things that need to change. And none of these things you should take lightly, but they are things that some people need to consider sometimes. Is your home too expensive? Is your car too expensive? Is there something else in your life that's far too expensive and a downgrade needs to occur? Again, think about those things very carefully based on your situation, but they are still things that you can think about that potentially could save you some money as well. If you're still not hitting your savings target, once you've really whittled down the budget, you've reduced the spending and you're still thinking, you know, I'm just not on track. I need to, I still need to save a little bit more. Um, there's something called an additional savings policy that I think is a really compelling idea. So what is an additional savings policy? Well, it's a concept whereby you take a predetermined percentage of any increase in income in the future. So think things like a raise, a bonus, or other financial windfall, and you're going to automatically take that predetermined percentage and put it towards your savings goal. So here's an example to make it a little bit more real for people. Let's say that you determine that you're going to have an additional savings policy of 50%. And let's say that you get a thousand dollar raise. That 50% additional savings policy would dictate that from that thousand dollars, you take 50% or $500 and you automatically send that towards your wealth building objectives. So savings, uh, investing, or maybe use it to pay down debt or something like that. That leaves, so you've used $500 towards that wealth building goal, and that leaves another $500 for other goals, um, including things like you know spending. So what I really like about this additional savings policy is that it allows you to kind of have a two for one benefit, right? You get that raise and that's really nice. You're gonna direct automatically a certain percentage towards increasing your wealth building. That's one big benefit. And the other benefit is that you've got a little bit more spending money or maybe use it towards other goals as well, right? But the point here is that it's a, an easy way to increase your savings rate because you didn't have that $1,000 previously. You weren't living with it. Now that you have it, you can automatically direct it towards your savings goals. And that can really help accelerate your wealth building process. I think the last thing that I would say here, again, from the wealth building standpoint, is just the, the, the value of automating your wealth building. So what can you do? You know, when we say automating, what does that mean? Well, some things that we can do is set up automatic contributions to your employer plans if you have one, right? So if you have a 401k plan or a 403b plan, we can set up automatic payroll deductions. So that money goes automatically every single month to our investment account. But you can also automate your savings to other accounts. It doesn't have to be your employer plan, right? If you have an individual retirement account, like an IRA, you can automate those contributions. If you want to increase money that's in your emergency fund, you can automate that with your bank institution and send an automatic per, uh, amount of money every single month towards a particular savings account. And again, the benefit to this is that it reduces friction. It makes it easier by automating these things. And all of those can really help you as you seek to build wealth over time. I'm a big fan of automation. Obviously, I talk about it a lot on this podcast. I'm super big fan of automation. But I do have a challenge to one of the things you suggested, Donovan. 
you suggested that people physically write down their expenses, right? Expense tracking. There's like behavioral economics and, and research that suggests that when you physically see cash leave your hand, it registers like pain. There's also additional research that has suggested the same receptors are targeted for digital cash leaving your account. So to me, there's not a big difference between physically writing it down or if you are actively monitoring your expense tracking through an automation tool. For me, the tediousness of physically writing everything down and categorizing it immediately makes me stop the behavior. So it is not my favorite. I've tried multiple times and it doesn't work for me. And so I use automation tools, but my the habit that I am changing or get I get into, I got into several years ago. I've been in this field a long time. You don't change your behavior <laughs> just overnight, but I review my spending and my expenses regularly so I can see where like I might be tempted to spend more often or what's been going on in my life that's caused me to spend more than I had originally planned and then make adjustments to my my spending plan or budget based on what either is going on in my life that's different or what my goals are and how I've changed them to better meet what my needs are right now or how my identity is more salient right now, right? There's different aspects of your identity and there may be points in your life where it's more important that you engage in your role as a parent, right? And spend more money being a parent than it is spending money on being a spouse, right? Like in my family, I don't have kids, but I have a fur baby, a very beautiful greyhound and she's getting older and she's experiencing some health issues. So I'm going to spend less money on my spouse and more money on healthcare for my dog. And that's a mutually agreed upon kind of shift in spending priorities. Absolutely. No, I actually appreciate you challenging this. And, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm definitely sympathetic to what you're describing. Here's, I guess, maybe how I would bring these two ends of the spectrum together in saying that you should do what works best for you. Yes. Um, I think that that's really important. And for Andrea, automating it and uh, being able to look over everything, it totally works for you. Yes. For me and my wife, when we were first start, starting out budgeting, the only thing that we could do was write it down on paper. And because it kept us engaged in the process, yeah. you know, every day we were writing down what we were spent, were spending. And I can totally understand where that would be an immediately immediate turnoff for people. And they're like, what? I don't want to write down all the stuff that I spend. And if, if that's a barrier, that's going to keep you from doing it. And there's, you got to find a different way. Yeah. And, and clearly you've navigated a path where, where that is true. And, you know, for my wife and I today, no way are we writing down everything before we had a budget. That's what we did to get us in the habit. Yeah. Now we have a, a clearly defined budget. That's very easy for us to review in, you know, just a few minutes a month, getting it, getting up and running is a little bit trickier, but you know, once, once you've got that uh, machine working, you've worked on it every single month for a couple of years, it starts to become a lot easier. So again, kind of bringing together these two ideas, finding, trying out things and seeing what works best for you, I think is, you know, whatever gets you to budgeting on a regular basis, that's what you should do. Absolutely. And there are plenty of different expense tracking methods and tools and combining that with 
the planning and, and reflection piece. Like there are plenty of people that track their spending, they might write it down and that that does tend to keep you more engaged writing it down, right? Because you, you physically see it. But if they're not reflecting on it and reflecting on trends, it's hard to change behavior. And reflection is a big piece of, I think, the entire wealth building as a balancing act, right? So I think we want to reinforce the reflection piece. Um, yeah, I agree more. So we're going we're gonna to shift back into our flow that we had planned a little bit. And I, I have some opinions about this question that I'm about to ask you, Donovan. But what do you think are the challenges of balancing current financial well-being with long-term wealth building? And I think we could probably all weigh in on our, our opinions with this. Yeah, yeah. And so I will, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts. So I'll, I'll try to be brief here. Um, I think it's it's pretty simple in a lot of ways though. You know, resources are limited. And so we have to make decisions. Do we sacrifice now for the future? or do we sacrifice the future for now, right? Do we use our resources currently or do we put those resources to work for us in an investment that we can tap into later, right? It can be hard to know what to do. Again, we've provided some ideas around savings rates to strive for and other things, but you know, as, as you're progressing through life and trying to think about how do, I, how do I balance the here and now and how do I balance responsibly preparing for the future, it could be helpful to ask yourself, what will I think about this financial decision one year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, H having that, you know, thinking about it from that future perspective might be useful in helping you arrive at, you know, is this a purchase that I'm making just for some sort of immediate gratification and that I really don't need, or is this a decision for an experience with a loved one that is worthwhile that I would regret in the future if I didn't do. And so being, being thoughtful and mindful about that, I think is important. And, you know, th this podcast, it, it's, it's for a broad audience, right? Some people are trying to make ends meet. Some people have greater flexibility. There is no one size fits all solution, but what is important? Well, it's important to have a plan. It's important to work the plan. It's important to adjust and reflect, to use Andrea's word that she was mentioning there, to reflect on that plan over time and enjoy progressing towards it, right? Enjoy pro progressing because that in and of itself can bring a sense of fulfillment and joy as you work towards that first $100 in savings, 1,000, 10,000, or 100,000, right? Wherever you're at on that on that stage of life, having a plan and working towards it will likely bring you some uh, satisfaction and and uh, well-being. And don't forget to celebrate your rent wins once you've Amen. reflected on it and reach those milestones. So Nikki, what do you think are some of the challenges of balancing current financial well-being with long-term wealth building? In general or for me specifically? It, I, I was thinking in general, like I was thinking broad, but if you are in the mindset of what's, what is uh, challenging for Nikki, whatever you're most comfortable sharing. Well, I think my challenge is, is a larger scale for a lot of people. So like, I know, right, like wealth building is important and we have to set things aside for multiple reasons, but you know, it's also balancing with the cost of today for what you have to also do. And for us right now, that's childcare and daycare, and that's a huge expense. So, so it's kind of that balancing of, 
you know, yes, we need to save long term, but we also need to have jobs to be able to save long term. So it's it is a balancing act and how we we have to adjust according to the needs that I think a stage of life that we're in. And this is this is our particular stage in our life. But I know that come the new year, my husband and I, we have a financial planner that we're going to sit down and kind of talk about different options and how we can still save, but not feel like that may have to be a little less than our original goal was right now, not forever. But I think that's kind of what, you know, what works for you and constantly adjusting as part is part of this. Does that answer your question, Andrea? Yeah, I think that makes complete sense. And it gives some anecdotal context to I think what Donovan said. And then like when I was thinking about this question, I was thinking kind of globally. And we do a lot of reviewing of national statistics on trends and economics and what people are struggling with. I also have a psychology background, so I think about behavior and capacity. And one of the first things that I think of is like the hierarchy of needs, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it's hard to think about wealth planning at all in any way if you're constantly being stressed out about basic needs, right? If you can't feed yourself or your family, if you are near homelessness or it's hard to uh, secure lodging for yourself or your loved ones, if if you're constantly being challenged by things like transportation to work, right? Like if your car always breaks down, if you even have one or you have situations in your region that impact public transit, that can impact your income. Those are stressors that make it hard for you to think about more than today's expenses or tomorrow's expenses. And so I think that's a big challenge for a lot of people globally and even in the United States. And I work primarily with students. So there's there's like this level of basic needs and security that some of our population suffers from. And then you have this other layer of academic stress and thinking about like, if I'm not successful in my classes, my whole life could be derailed, right? So there's like these crises happening all the time. And I think about those kind of stressful situations in the here and now that also make it more difficult when, if you do have the capacity or want to think about long-term planning, the more stressful situations that you have to make decisions in throughout the day, the more likely you are to make poor decisions as you make more of them, right? Decision fatigue is real. And so I think that's another challenge. And then you add on this other layer of lack of consumer transparency or new financial tools being introduced that say they're going to help you build wealth, but you don't have the financial knowledge to do your due diligence on those tools. You can easily get defrauded or like just invest in the wrong thing, thinking that this is going to help me reach my goal in the future. So then you have this constant need to enhance your financial knowledge throughout your entire life, because 
financial tools change like as frequently as technology does, right? So I, there's all these layers that make wealth building and finances and decision-making and behavior change on goal setting, all of it challenging. And that's kind of like what I was thinking when I thought about this question. I think that's great. I think that's a great question. Um, so you, you did mention tools, right? So Donovan, can you kind of tell us, because I'm sure people at home or wherever they're listening um, are thinking, what are some tools that I can use to build wealth? Right, right. No, great question. And I think, uh, you know, we could probably probably spend uh, many episodes uh, talking about these things. Let me just go ahead and offer maybe three simple ideas. The first gets back to that budget, super simple tool, but you really can't. Uh, you know, underestimate the value of this as a first step tool, having a budget to track your spending where budget can also be very helpful is to give you an idea of where your spending is going, but also, you know, give you an idea of how much income is coming in and what your target savings rate should be based on that. Again, I've mentioned a couple of times, you know, 15 to 20%, it's probably a, a good general rule to consider that may need to be adjusted based on your circumstances. And so let's take this example. Let's say that your, your gross household income, when we say gross income, we're just talking about income before taxes or other deductions that might be taken out through work. So if your gross income as a household is $50,000 and you want to save $20,000, your goal is to save about $10,000 per year. That's $833 per month. And you can use that, you know, that $833 per month or whatever that savings rate goal is and see every single month if you are saving it. And this again gets back to, you know, instead of having to go into your accounts and process that transaction, you can set it up automatically. So every month it's going in and you only need to make changes if your income situation changes. So number one, budget. Number two, use retirement accounts, right? These accounts are designed to help you stash away money for the future you. Um, your future self, future self will sure be grateful that you did that. Um, so what are some examples of retirement accounts that you might have access to? These can include employer plans like 401k plans or 403bs. They can also include things like individual retirement accounts like traditional and Roth IRAs. Why are these helpful? Why are these useful? Well, one of the big reasons why they are so helpful is because they provide tax benefits. These can make saving and investing more efficient from a tax perspective. And again, we could probably have a long conversation about that and the benefits of retirement accounts. One of the other things that they do is that they create an incentive for you to keep the money in there for a long time. So, you know, if we hearken back to the earlier part of our podcast, when we use the example of Warren Buffett, remember one of the reasons why he's done so well is because he's invested for a very, very, very long time. And so the longer we can invest, uh, the more likely it is that we'll benefit from compounding interest over time too. And so retirement accounts provide an incentive to keep the money in the account before a certain date. So, and, and you know, generally speaking, there's a 10% penalty if money's taken out of retirement accounts before they reach age 59 and a half. So two thoughts on that. On the on the positive side, again, that incentive will, you know, it'll create an incentive for you to keep the money there. So you're less likely to go tap into it. On the other side, you really don't want to have your emergency fund or near-term spending needs in retirement accounts because again, you'll get that penalty when you take that money out. So again, first budget, second retirement accounts. What's the last thing to think about? Well, 
Last thing to think about is how hands-on do you want to be with your investing in wealth building? Do you want to do it yourself, all by yourself? If you do, you need to make sure that you get educated, right? Listen to good podcasts, read some really great books on the topic of investing in financial planning. Do you want to outsource it to a financial planner? Good idea to look for a certified financial planner professional, Good idea to look for a fee-only financial advisor, but there's other things to, to, to look into and for as you're searching among financial advisors as well. Or do you find yourself kind of in between where you want some you know, professional guidance to get started out, but then you, you know, don't need an ongoing financial advisor. You just want someone to check in with on a, on a regular basis. So if you find yourself in one of those camps where uh, you're looking to do things on your own, or uh, you just want someone to help you set things up and then maybe do occasional check-ins. There's a really interesting tool that is making investing a lot easier for many members of the population. These are known as robo-advisors. So what is a robo-advisor? Well, first and foremost, it's a digital platform where you can go and open up retirement accounts and other investment accounts and save for the future. Now, the nice thing about robo-advisors is that they are, they, they're, they're modern. And so when you go onto a robo-advisors website, it's going to have a very familiar feel to you if you ever use an app on a smartphone. So they make the process of, of getting set up and opening accounts, they make that process very, very easy. Um, in my opinion, much easier than the more traditional investment companies and brokerage firms in the past. And so uh, you can easily open up those uh, retirement accounts or investing accounts. And then they have uh, portfolios that you can choose from and invest in based on your time horizon and based on your goals for the future. So in other words, if you anticipate using the money sooner rather than later, then their portfolio model that they'll recommend is going to be more conservative. It's not likely to have as high of a return over the long run. It's going to be focused more on preserving your wealth. Whereas if you're saving and investing for 30 years down the road, then the portfolio model that's recommended will likely be much more aggressive because you have a longer time horizon to that. But robo-advisors can be really neat because they provide that automation. You can set up the automatic contributions to go into the account on a monthly basis. As your account grows and changes, all of the buying and selling of investments is happening automatically within the account. If the market is volatile and there's rapid price swings, whenever the portfolio gets out of whack, it's, it's out of balance, the portfolio will automatically rebalance, get you back towards that target portfolio that you're looking at. And they can do other more sophisticated things that we don't probably have the time to talk about in this episode, but they can do things like asset location, which is helpful from a tax perspective. And they can do things like tax loss harvesting, which is also helpful. And they can automate those processes. So in utilizing a, a robo-advisor, this can be a really great tool to automate the investing side of your life. So I, I keep doing plugs for some of our past um webinars and podcasts. But we did speak with uh, Kathy Swedler from University of Illinois Extension about how to choose a financial professional on episode 25. So if that is something that you're interested in, some of the things that Donovan just mentioned, and you want to learn more, we'll again have links to that podcast in the show notes. And Donovan, what are some habits or behaviors that people can practice to balance wealth building with living their lives now and engaging in meaningful relationships and experiences? 
That's a great question, Nikki. You know, so much of, of financial planning really is behavior-based. There are important things to know, but at the end of the day, it's really what we do that, that really counts. So what are some things that we can do? Well, I think that it's really important to spend time every week, even if it's just a couple of minutes, reviewing your vision for the future. And I, I think that it's so important to have your vision and goals written down in a document so that you can go back and refer to it and you can reflect on it. And, uh, you know, that'll help keep you on track. So spending just a couple of minutes every single week to do that, I think will go a really long way. I also think that there's, you know, some really important benefits and it's important to acknowledge, acknowledge the benefits that can be created as you seek financial stability for yourself and your family. But, you know, be careful as you're doing that, not to confuse having the most money at the end of life with a life well-lived. Just because you pass away as the richest person, you know, that's buried at the graveyard doesn't necessarily mean that you lived a happy and rich life. So it's important that we remember that. And I think, you know, most of us, most of us are being honest with ourselves and we think about looking back on life, you know, what we're going to care about most are the experiences with those that we love. This is not to take down the importance of being responsible and saving for the future. We absolutely need to do that too. But having strong relationships with people that we love and care about along the way is so important. We can't discount that either. I think the last thing that I would say in terms of a habit that's worth striving for is developing a mindful way of being, including a, a mindful approach uh, to how you spend your money. Now, mindfulness, it's really mindfulness and mindfulness meditation has really garnered a lot of attention in the last few years. And I'm really excited that it has, to be honest. I think a lot of us recognize that our very hectic, ever connected, always available way of life is, you know, causing us to wear out or burn out a little bit. Practicing mindfulness, meditating, taking time to unplug can really go a long way to helping us establish uh, habits to help us experience life each and every step along the way. It can help us wake up, you might say, and live our experience fully. And I think of our goal in balancing experiences in life now while also responsibly pre preparing for the future, that, that balancing act, I think really is enhanced as we approach life mindfully. And we're thoughtful about using money according to our values now creating experiences with we love with loved ones now in in the ways that we can that fit our means at the same time while we also focus on saving for the future thank you so much donovan uh as far as mindfulness and money goes that's also a concept that we covered in the same webinar that nikki mentioned earlier conscious consumerism and there are several books that we've quoted in there to talk about the ways that you can practice mindfulness and how it relates to money management that might be helpful. Um, thinking about gratitude and being intentional with your spending and making sure that you're spending in a way that aligns with your values, which is a theme that we've talked about throughout this podcast as well. As we're kind of reflecting on what we've just talked about throughout this podcast is there anything else, Donovan, that you want to make sure that we provide or address with our listeners for ba this balancing act we keep talking about? Yeah, Andrea, I think the one last thing that I would say, or maybe two things. One is acknowledge that people make mistakes along the way. Uh, as I alluded to, my wife and I were just reflecting today on some of our financial mistakes. None of us is going to go through life perfect in any way, including in the finances. And it can be discouraging if you've made a financial mistake. And, and I would say, hey, that's, that's 
being a human. And so it's okay, right? We all do it. And then the other thing that I would just reiterate, which has been mentioned before, it's so important to have a plan. This doesn't need to be a huge, dramatic, sophisticated plan. It can be as simple as my plan is to get on a budget. And this is what I'm going to do to do that. And then once you've tackled that, my plan is to save X percentage. And this is how I'm going to do it. And you'll find that over time, that plan will develop. And maybe it does become bigger, more all-encompassing. But having those goals that you're working towards, it's so, so important. And as again, we've mentioned a couple of times already, that striving for something is a joy in and of itself. Having something that you're working towards can create a lot of satisfaction. And in fact, maybe even more more satisfaction than once you've reached it. Uh, And so appreciating that and enjoying it along the way, I think is really key. Well, Donovan, I just wanted to take in opportunities. They thank you so much for coming. Your expertise is always great to have you on. I think this whole wealth building expertise talk, just being able to talk about it, I think is something that it's always a mystery how to do this. So just breaking it down and and talking about different aspects, I think, and hope that it helps a lot of people. And you're always a great guest. I'm sure this won't be the last time that you'll be on. Anytime. My pleasure. I think Donovan also set the seed when he was talking about tools to come back and talk to us about a a few financial tools that people might want to explore or use in their balancing act, their their wealth building balancing act. And I always appreciate Donovan, how you are also focused on behavior in the financial planning process, not just like wealth building itself and balancing that kind of value oriented things, making sure to practice things you're passionate about, not just focusing on risk aversion, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's sometimes what the theme is. So I appreciate that you, you come on and kind of reinforce that. Um, for our listeners, thank you for listening to us talk to Donovan today. And, and hopefully we're setting a mood for you to just do something that will help you start your wealth building journey. Um, even if it's just build a budget. We talked about in our financial resolutions podcast that There are less people setting resolutions, but maybe you just set a tiny goal to get yourself started this year. Um, And as always, please like, share, subscribe, and we'll talk to you next time.